dude, hell yeah. What's up, dude? How, you doing? How are you? 65 Nova? That's the shit. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you don't play around. I've had this thing uh, since high school. Really? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, What's up, Javi? How are you, dude? Good. It's good, good to see you, man. See Likewise. You yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Thanks, man. The students we see could be those of any large urban center. For what we witness has taken place all across the United States. This is On the Inside Looking In. I'm Adrian Huerta. We're in Denver, Colorado with poet, award-winning writer, performer, and cultural worker Bobby Lefebvre. His powerful play, Northside, turned YouTube series, turned back into a play, is a narrative that focuses on the emergence of affluent migration into established neighborhoods and its effects on the people from all sides. In a more concise term, gentrification. We begin in the Santa Fe Arts District in a 40-plus-year-old theater hosting the 23 sold-out shows, Su Teatro. Oddly, a theater very reminiscent of a space I know all too well. Awesome, awesome. I love this space. Yeah, dude. Oh, um, it, it reminds me of the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio. It's like, it's very much like that. Very inviting. Let me show you. We got this other space in here, too. Yeah, mostly a, a very quiet space, possible. Yeah. Um, and then maybe you can give me a tour of Su Teatro and... Yeah. That's cool. Oh, thank you. Let's see if the, the garage is up, but okay. we could all go together. Okay. So how exciting is it to, like, have everything sold out? Right yeah, now? dude, it's fucking dope. It's, yeah. so, it's so wild. I mean, we knew it was going to do well. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to... I think that just shows how hungry people are to talk about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. All the stuff that's happening. Yeah. First and foremost, thank you. Thank you for the time. Sure. Um, your play is amazing. Saw it last night. Lucky enough to get into a sold-out show. Yeah. Uh, kind of came in an hour early and kind of waited. And I was like, I, I hope we get on the list. I hope we can get in. Yeah. And luckily, we did. Oh, dope. Sat right in the middle. It was dope. Cool. It was awesome. So you are the writer yeah. of Northside. Most people outside of Denver don't know what Northside is. Sure. What is Northside? Where is it? And, and what might it be called now? Yeah, yeah. So Northside uh, is a, a neighborhood, predominantly Latino neighborhood, traditionally Latino neighborhood, at least, uh, you know, the last... Uh, 30, 40 years um, that is being heavily gentrified right now, like so many cities across the country. So there's a north side in every major city uh, in the country. Uh, but you know, it's, it's where my grandparents and great grandparents and parents uh, called home. And um, right now we're seeing large scale change. And uh, so the play is really a testament to uh, that period of time. Um, you know, I'm calling it. Uh, a celebration of cultural permanence and preservation and a eulogy, a eulogy to things lost. And so uh, really that's what the play is, that's what the neighborhood is. Um, you know, the neighborhood is changing demographically, architecturally, uh, all of the businesses that once were there and you know we would frequent are, are disappearing. Same classic study of gentrification that's happening all over the country. Yeah, and that's what's kind of interesting to me is because it's Denver, Colorado. What most people think about Denver is Rocky Mountains, Snow, right. the Rockies, the Nuggets, uh, Patagonia, sure. hiking stuff. Yeah. You know, there, there never really is like a Chicano, Latino connection. Yeah. Um, I never made that connection until I saw your, your YouTube series. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the North Side. Sure. So I, I just think it's kind of awesome to think like, oh crap, there's more yeah. of us out there. And there's also the idea of like, you're going through the same stuff here as people in Los Angeles and Oakland and everywhere across the Absolutely. country. When you wrote this, was it before the YouTube series or was it after the YouTube series? And then how did you come about getting to this point? I started working on this before the YouTube series. Uh, 
you know, I, I've been, I, I penned my first um, poem about the gentrification of my neighborhood over 13 years ago. You know, artists always seem to be at the forefront of all progressive conversations, right? So we see things happening millions of miles away and we start addressing it as soon as we start to see those things. Uh, you know, friends of mine were doing grad work around gentrification in North Denver, you know, pouring milk down, uh, you know, curbside, watching the whiteness flow before that was a thing, right? So I started writing the play early on. Theater is a, it's a finicky thing, right? So there's not a lot of people who are frequenting theaters these days. And so I, I thought the story was important and wanted to figure out how could I get this topic in front of as many people as, as possible. And I knew I would continue to pursue theater, but I, I decided to also kind of spin the, the, the theater uh, script into the web series because, you know, online platforms, YouTube. It's almost have, like the new theater. Totally, sense, yeah. Right? People have the opportunity to engage a lot more readily than, than, in, than in the theater. So we did the web series, put the play on hold for a bit, um, revisited the play last year after the artistic director here at Su Teatro was like, hey, what's going on with your play? Uh, we decided that we would, you know, kind of dive full force into a production. And now here we are yeah. uh, at Su Teatro yep. in is it Santa Fe Arts District. Totally, that yep. yeah, that's okay. where we're at in the west side, uh, a, a traditional Latino Chicano neighborhood. Uh, this neighborhood was actually one of the first Mexican settlements uh, in the city, and uh, a lot of people were displaced here for the building of a higher education institution. So the Auraria campus was built, which actually displaced the Mexican community. And Tony Garcia, the uh, executive artistic director, has written a story about the displacement of those folks generations ago called the West Side Oratorio. So, um, you know, this theater's uh, for the last almost 50 years has really been telling the story of uh, Chicanos, Latinos here in the Southwest, especially in Denver and in Colorado. So, you know, your, your, your play kind of sort of hits a bunch of points and generations. Uh, previous generations hopefully helping new generations and then uh, even new generations outside of Chicano culture coming in and trying to find their own, it's almost like a, a battlefield, right, yeah. as of right now. When you see that, I mean, I guess you're, you're kind of sort of uh, highlighting current events, because I don't think this was really an issue, you know, maybe 15 years ago, or maybe it was, and, you know, people didn't really see it. Right. So, I mean, is that the point of the play? Is that, is that what you're trying to do? Are you ch trying to help remember this point in time with your theater, with your, with your screenplay, with your writing? Yeah, it's definitely a... It's a snapshot in time, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's an ode to the, to the history of the neighborhood, the things that we've lost. Uh, but really, it's good art, good theater, I think, um, discusses contemporary issues in a way that is um, engaging. And I think right now our city is hungry for this conversation. It's ripe for... Um, what we're doing, and I think that that shows in the popularity of the piece. You know, we had a 10-show run that sold out. We added three shows thinking, hey, we'll add three more shows. Those sold out in one day. Um, so then we decided to add a completely new run. So 10 shows are, are going to be added, and those will sell out too. And I think it just speaks to this city right now is going through a, an immense identity crisis. Not only is the north side being gentrified, but the east side, which is, you know, traditionally black neighborhood, they're being you know, same thing's happening there. And it's always communities of color that seem to suffer through this process. And if I could use this play as an entry point to have dialogue about what's happening, who wins, who loses in this conversation, in this process, 
Uh, all too often, just like history, we, we hear about the shiny new things from the perspective of the victor, from the person who's winning. Very rarely do we tap into the other side of the people who are not benefiting, the people who are finding themselves on the losing end of this conversation. It's more like history books totally. in a sense, right? Absolutely. You know, that they kind of have that history written, and then you come to find out there's an alternative history to that right. uh, from the other side. And so it's, it's, that, it's, it's that idea, right? Like, Su Teatro is unique in that we can tell our own stories the way we want to tell them uh, without any outside influence. So when people come into this space and watch this story, they're getting something very specific from a very specific viewpoint. And I'm not trying to tell the story of the entire neighborhood. You know, I'm telling a story that resonates with people in the neighborhood because it's so familiar. So I, 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 this is kind of a way of like uh, identifying a problem, you know, in a very non-aggressive way. There are other places that are experiencing gentrification that have aggressive ways of combating these things, like uh, you know, either starting fights or, 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 or gathering people together. Uh, do you think like those things are necessary to kind of combat this, or are there other ways to combat? Uh, I think they're all equally important. You know, I believe uh, in direct action. I believe in you know, like you were saying, uh, there's different ways to approach it. This is the way that I choose to approach it. I have done some of those things as well, you know, some guerrilla street art, some uh, guerrilla performances, uh, some more confrontational uh, displays of voicing that displeasure with the process. Uh, I believe in art uh, to tackle issues. I believe in policy to tackle issues. I believe in um, the spectrum of things from the most passive to the most potentially destructive or violent. I think that they all serve a purpose in, um, in creating you know, discourse and dialogue about what's happening. Yeah. So let's get to the way you're doing it currently. It's the North Side. Yeah. Um, you know, let's talk about your cast, the people you've picked. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, how did you go about picking these people? How hard was it to find these people? Yeah. Um, and are they all from Denver? Are they all from different places? What's, sure. what's the deal? Yeah. So we have a company. Uh, Su Teatro has been in existence almost 50 years. So we have a, a large company of actors and creatives and people that come together for shows. Uh, we had a lot of interest for this show. There's a lot of people who wanted to be in the show. Um, and ultimately, we, our director, Hugo Garbajal, from L.A., we brought him in to Denver. Um, he was, he was, uh, lived here in Denver uh, for a long time. He went to North High School for a while. He's a graduate of West High School, so he knows the city. We brought him in from L.A. We had auditions, brought people back for a second round of auditions, uh, and ultimately picked the people that we thought best were going to be a manifestation of the characters that I had written. I think that we came really, really close to nailing every person that was in the cast. I'm very proud of the work that they've done, the way that they've shown up, um, the way that they've brought their, their selves to the characters, uh, and we've been working really, really hard with them mm -hmm. to tell the story. And then do you have, do you have a favorite, or, or like, do you enjoy the YouTube aspect? Do you enjoy the theater aspect? Like, which one is? Each one has its own kind of, you know, each, each platform has its benefits. There's nothing like live theater. There's nothing like sitting back of, uh, in the house and watching 250 people react to the thing that you've created, right? Um, some of the moments that I've been most, it's hard for me to be proud of myself as an artist. I'm, I'm always criticizing, the, you know, I'm so critical of the work that I produce. Um, but there's something beautiful about watching a, a theater of 250 people react in ways to something that's come from your heart and mind, right? 
these, these intangible things that we create in our minds, these ideas that manifest into the real world, watching that happen in real time is, is, is it's a gorgeous thing. And, and watching you know, the cast work in real time and to tell this story, um, it's been really, really fulfilling. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, to, to me, this is high quality theater. You know, um, this is amazing what you've done. Yeah. Is Denver supposed to have this? Should Denver have this high quality of theater? This is a surprise. You know, of, yeah, you know. we've been, we, you know, this company is 50, almost 50 years old, you know, and, and Denver has, we have an amazing art scene in Denver. In addition to the work that I do here, I'm also a, an arts administrator. I do a lot of arts uh, work. So I'm on the Denver Commission Cultural Affairs, which is the city's mayor appointed arts and culture board. I actually chaired that for two years. And so Denver is a booming arts town. We have a booming theater scene here. We have the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, which um, you know not only provides access to Broadway shows, but they have their own company of professional theaters that you know bring in work. Theater of color in Denver now is another story, right? Um, we had a prominent African American theater called Shadow Theater for a long time. Uh, Jeffrey Nicholson was the the artistic director of that. Of course, Su Teatro here. Uh, there have been a couple of Asian theater companies that have come and gone. Um, people like the Black Actors Guild do really amazing um, uh, theater. Emancipation Theater right now is another that is, is doing great work in our city. But to answer your question, I think it's unexpected because as a whole, the city hasn't nurtured those spaces outside of these spaces existing on their own. That's why Latino and Black and other theaters of color were formed in the 60s and 70s was in response to our stories not being you know, highlighted in major theaters around the country. So we stopped asking for permission, we stopped asking to be let in, and we created our own spaces, and that's what we're doing here. So hopefully, you know, what, what you saw, what our production did was prove that we can do everything on our own um, in the ways that we want to do it, um, and not rely on anybody else to, to tell our stories. Yeah, you don't need anybody else's platform. You create your own, exactly in a very DIY kind of sense. But yeah. I mean, to get that quality of work is very impressive. Yeah. very cool. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to give away your like your story too yeah. much. Yeah. But okay, so you are, you have a, a young couple in yeah. there, millennials. Yep. Possibly chipsters, possibly not. Maybe you, never you know, know on the on the cusp. Dinks, maybe. right? Dinks. Sure. I've never heard dinks yeah. until this play. Yeah. Which is what a double income. Double income, no kids. It's a sociological term. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But implying that you teach people certain things. Totally. So for a couple like that, this brand new. I guess they're kind of living a duality. Yeah. In a sense, like they have their um, their old school, you know, the things that they've grown up with in the neighborhood and sure. stuff. But then you also come into the idea of the, the, your a legacy finally having a financial opportunity to be equivalent. Yep. Is, is it hard to, for people to like assimilate and keep their other culture um, you know, with, this, with this day and age? I think it's a struggle, I really do. I think, I think we have bought into the idea that money is the great equalizer. And sometimes it can be for certain things, but it's also not in so many other ways, right? Mm -hmm. We still, uh, it doesn't matter if we have money or not. We still are, are battling up against these same institutions that were created to exclude us. White supremacy is so far reaching and you know, steeped in everything that we do that we forget that just because we can keep up with the Joneses, it doesn't mean that they want us there or that you know, these institutions and these systems were, were meant for us because they weren't. 
I think that I know this firsthand that it, it does get interesting and complicated when you when you make that jump from, you know, education. So my, my parents, you know, didn't graduate high school, you know, and they were working their whole lives. They worked um, really hard to provide for us their, their entire lives. And they did a fine job of that with blue collar jobs back when that worked. You know, these days it's kind of harder to do that. But yeah, I think that there is this identity crisis that happens because you're straddling two worlds. You're trying to understand this new world and have access points to things that will allow for your future and future generations to be better. Well, at the same time, reaching back to where you came from and trying to hold on to what it means to be that as well. So I think that there is um, a really interesting conflict that exists in that space. And I tried to, you know, show that, you know, one of the scenes, uh, it's an intimate scene between partners and it's, it's sort of what happens when nobody else is around and, and you all are just engaged in life together. All of the uncertainty, all of the insecurities, all of the little bickering that occurs. And, and so, yeah, I think that there is a, an element of that in real life too, in that when you've taken that next step, you're trying to figure out where you belong. We were just talking about that in the movie Selena, there's the dad, there's dad driving yeah. the, the, the family and they're saying, you know, the simple idea is we're never Mexican enough for the Mexicans and we're never American enough for the Americans. So true. Um, and I think that's what kind of your play kind of, you know, encompasses, mm -hmm. you know, with having generations and new people and stuff like that. But then that couple, yeah. the young couple in there um, is very much a lot of people nowadays. You know, there, there are a lot of people that are, you know, we just got out of a recession. We're a little nervous. We don't really believe in the idea of... Uh, keeping jobs for 30 years or 35 right. years, you know, there's, we saw people, we saw our families, uh, our tios and tias losing jobs after being places for 25 years. We're nervous. We're a nervous millennial group. Yeah. Um, and I think your play kind of, um, you know, helps bring to light the, that there's a new generation coming. You know, and that's interesting. One of the, I think one of the biggest compliments that I received was from an elder who didn't know who I was, didn't know anything about the story. But at the end, when I come up on stage to say hello to people, when, you know, we shake everybody's hand after every show, when he came up to shake my hand, he said, I could not believe that you're so young. He said, this story, there's so much into it. He's like, and I'm not trying to disrespect your age. He said, but I'm just shocked that you're a young person. He said, I, I assumed that you would have to at least be my age to have the experience to write something like this or the insight. Um, and, and I guess that was a compliment, you know, but it's also, it's also kind of eye-opening to, to show how older generations view us, right? As though we're not capable of, you know, manifesting our own realities and, and, and things like that. And I think that that's part of that, that, um, we, we don't wait to make opportunities and, and we, we, we try to take them and make them whenever we can. Yeah. It's almost like uh, older generations will, will, I mean, technically will forever be younger than them. Mm -hmm. But in, the mentality is always like, they're going to be our children. Like my mom still talks to me like I'm a child. Yeah. You know, I'm a 35 year old man. Yeah. And my mom's <laughs> always like, Mijo, are you okay? Do yeah. you need money? And I'm thinking, mom, those are like the things I think I need least right now. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I think for us growing up and our, our culture and our generation and our people being a working class community, 
uh, growing up fast is kind of something that we've always done. Our parents yeah. did it right away. Sure. Gaining jobs at like 17, 18, 15, 16, mm -hmm. you know, just to make a living. Yeah. So I think a quick adaptation is not an issue with us. I think it's in our bloodline. Yeah. Um, and I think you do it well, you know, being a young person to do that. Yeah. And I think too, it says a lot about even, even the idea of being an artist, you know, like, uh, because our, and I say this at my curtain speech a lot, the privilege of being able to do theater, you know, um, I believe that art's a necessity. I believe that art and cultural work is not something we do to decorate things. I think it's, it's part of the innate human desire to exist. We need to make things to represent how we're feeling, how we, where we come from. And these markers are really what make us human, right? And so... I think all too often arts and culture is viewed as some sort of esoteric thing that exists in, in, in the obscure when really it's, a, it's an absolute human necessity. And, and it's been there from the beginning of time. And our communities have used it as a tool for identity expression, uh, identity empowerment, um, and, to, yeah, and to document to the world that has marginalized us that we're here mm -hmm. and this is, this is who we are and this is how we exist. Yeah. You know, I'm really excited right now about things that are happening, you know, on TV, watching shows like Vida, um, you know, kind of do really well. Um, Tani Sarracha, she's a, you know, playwright yep. turn, you know, filmmaker. Mm -hmm. uh, watching that success is really, really exciting. Um, and so us telling our stories from our perspective I think is overdue and Latinos are grossly underrepresented anyway in TV and theater. Um, but to watch our communities be more represented and, and not only represented, but represented from our own perspectives and owning our own stories mm -hmm. um, is really, really exciting. To yeah. Me. I, I think it's, it's empowering to know that there's other people creating their own uh, space yeah. in the world. And especially with the internet, I think it's easier now than ever like this podcast, like, who would talk about this yeah. in this instance, you know? Yeah. You, you, that was the whole point. Normally I'm nervous to do these things, but I figured if it's not me, who's gonna do sure. it? Like we need to tell our own stories, Absolutely. right? Um, but let, you know what, let's talk about Vida real quick, because this, yeah. is, this is kind of interesting, because they shoot in East LA, yeah, and, yeah. you know, in Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights. Um, but they also, it's kind of funny, it's almost like a, a mini, I don't want to call it a civil war, but it's, it's just kind of like, there's natives, and then there's the idea of like making, uh, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sensationalizing, I guess, our culture, you sure. know, because um, there's there's locals that are kind of push back whenever they're shooting. Of course. Um, you know, they don't want their neighborhood to be shown off that way. But at the same time, you have Vida that is helping people like you and I that are from different cities identify with something yeah. on television, which is nice. Um, do, do you think that there's like a camaraderie missing should there be working together or do you think locals kind of have a right to kind of push back they don't want their stuff like really it depends you know I don't know much about how um, they involve the local community I think the problem with development in general is usually that gentrification is bad when it happens in through and around people without the regard for them being part of the process um, I can understand totally why people from Boyle Heights would be opposed to a show coming in and telling their story. And but for those people like see, them though. Right, totally, you know? totally. Like, and, it, it, and one thing that Vida does is it, it really highlights the idea of gentrification versus gentrification. Gentrification in Vida's 
perspective or from the frame that they've used it is upwardly mobile Latinos, maybe even from the neighborhood, using capitalism and business to remain remain there, right? And I think that that's the problem. Uh, sometimes we actually buy into the idea that capitalism will save us, that education will save us, that economic improvement will save us. Um, and so in my play, I talk about gentrification as a positive thing, you know, brown people moving into their own neighborhood, staying there. Um, but it also, in Boyle Heights, I know that that's a, that's a, that's a bad word, right? Yeah. Because it's like you have these snooty Latinos coming in, doing the same thing that white folks are doing or people yep. with, with money are doing. And, and using their identity to sneak in there, kind of. Totally. You know, like, oh, I'm opening up a coffee shop, but I went to school right here down the street. Yeah. So it's okay. And it's always, it's... it always boils down to intent, man. Like, mm-hmm. is the intent to keep something in the hood and to represent the hood and to be for the hood? Or is it to just make money? You know, and I think people, locals can smell through the bullshit. They know who's there for what. And... I think the reality is a lot of local people in Boyle Heights, a lot of local people here in North Denver, they smell the bullshit and they can tell when people are genuine and when they're just opportunists. And for the people who are opportunists, they deserve some of that that clap back because the culture is the people and and you exploit the people, you exploit the culture. And and, um, the balance is tough. And the the other thing is you're not going to ever be able to, to make everybody happy, right? So... There's always going to be people who are upset. Um, it doesn't matter what happens, how involved or not the community is. That's part of change. And you have to kind of figure out what side of the, of the issue you're on and what your intentions are. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, there's a hint to check. It's exactly. like if you go in there, somebody's going to question you. Yeah. And they'll figure it out. Yeah. You're I right. Mean, it, it's it it's, it's out, dope so. to, have, to have the street cred, though. You know, it's dope to, have, to be able to, to, to feel the love of the community and the community at large. It's a, it's a very delicate dance that um, I, I think a lot of creatives and people that are even business owners would love to have. Yeah. So when you have newer people coming in, do and you're a local, are you supposed to share? Can you share? Um, you know, like, or, or do you, is it just considered submitting? And just allowing these things to happen like if you don't check someone are you allowing those things um i guess that, that's a hard that's a hard yeah. one and i think you you kind of tackle that um but it's I, it's hard i think it depends right like i think there's this expectation from white culture in general to be educated on everything and they think that just because you're from a place that all of a sudden you need to uh, educate them on that what's okay. up uh they're gonna start up. Oh, okay gotcha. cool this gonna be the last question so yeah, I think I think that that's that's the that's the hard part, right? Is that there's this expectation that white culture has that we have to educate them. Um, they don't take a lot of responsibility to educate themselves before moving into a place when they're there, and they only enjoy what feels good to them, and they don't do the hard work. Um, and so I don't necessarily feel like it's our obligation to make them feel a part of something, um, but I do feel it's our expectation. It, it's my. It's an expectation of mine that I hold people accountable when they're in my space, without regard for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you gotta go. Yeah. Right. I okay. think we're, we're Last question, yeah. real quick. I'm in Denver. Where do we go to eat, man? That's dude. Like, where oh, do we go eat? Oh man. All right. So you have to go 
to Chubby's. Chubby's is a Chicano institution that's been around for a long, long time. Okay, and what do you get there? Um, you go to Chubby's and you get the Mexican hamburger, smothered French fries. That's what you're going to want uh, from there. Um, let's see here. If we're talking about the north side, I would also go to uh, Gaetano's, which is an old Italian restaurant that's been there for a while. It's changed over time, but um, if you want some more down-home Italian, you can go to Carl's and get some pizza. Um, you know, Denver's got a lot of good food, man, and, and, you know, there's a lot of newer spots that are amazing, too. That Denver's doing some really cool stuff in the culinary world. Um, El Chingon in, in North Denver is a, kind of a, uh, a dope spot that's more of a bistro, a person from the neighborhood. Um, that's an example of somebody from the neighborhood providing sort of more of an upscale environment for um, the community, but you know, remaining true to who they are. So check out El Chingon. You can, you can go get some uh, native tacos at Tokabe. They do um, like fry bread tacos, which are amazing. Um, Demo's got some, some good, good food. Cool. Awesome, dude. I appreciate the time. Right bro. on. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, dude. Appreciate that. Yes. Dude, thank you so much. To learn that you're not the only one can be the beginning of halting colonial characteristics. What a mind. Thank you to Bobby Lefebvre for stepping up and repping hard. And of course, for the time. At the end of the 23 shows, Northside will be seen by 6,000 people. That's 1,000. 6,000 people. Any interest past this podcast, including spoken word performances, activist resources, or just to keep up, be sure to follow Bobby on Instagram at Bobby Lefebvre. That's at B-O-B-B-Y-L-E-F-E-B-R-E. Special thanks to Su Teatro Cultural and Performing Arts Center in West Denver. I can't thank you enough for the hospitality and access during the shows. Also, thank you to Los Mocochetes from Denver, Colorado for their track, Que Viva Revolución. Links to Su Teatro y the Los Mocochetes music can be found in the episode outline. And of course, thank you to my associate producer, Dr. Nicole Garcia. Please make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, and be sure to check us out on all social media platforms at CaliBear. That's C-A-L-I-B-E-X-A-R. By the way, we ended up at El Taco de Mexico across the street from the theater. Although a smothered burrito was recommended, I'm a sucker for chilaquiles. Thank you for listening. I'm Adrian Huerta. This has been a CaliBear production, and this is On the Inside, Looking In. <laughs>